Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. Hey listeners, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover, back with uh, the Minds Gym podcast, um, here to uh, uh, meet another beautiful guest, a uh, complete uh, stranger to me until today, um, been following his uh, Instagram online and this dude posts some amazing uh, quotes that are uh, right on point. So as you all know, I suffered from some severe anxiety and depression for several years recently and hope by sharing other stories and my story it'll uh, and my experiences it will benefit you Um, I want to thank you guys for listening and your support please subscribe please um, share with your friends and please uh, don't be afraid to post a review Um, so with that being said uh, um, I got a guy here that uh his name's nelson lee he um is the founder of building brainwaves uh he's uh having recovered from anxiety and ocd and depression he understands uh and knows how tough navigating the current world of mental health can be as a result he created building brainwaves which is dedicated to educating others about building habits skills and an environment that will help them successfully improve their mental health. Whether through one-on-one coaching, group classes, speaking engagements, or the content that he creates, he's striving to help you live the life that you want to be living. So how are you today, brother? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just reached out to Nelson um, through... Uh, social media said, hey, you want to be on the podcast? Um, and uh, he likely um, said absolutely, so so he's here. Yeah, and here we are. So rock and roll, right? Yeah, I was glad to get that invite. Yeah. So thanks it's again. Cool. So Nelson's 29 years old, and uh, I know when I looked up his picture on Instagram, he looked like a young fellow, handsome young guy, and uh, I was pretty intrigued by how... Uh, um, informative and in how uh, sharp his posts were. And so I wondered at 29 years old, Nelson, how did you come into uh, kind of understanding and uh, focusing on like mental health and know that's something that you wanted to maybe get into? It's a good question. Um, I think the, the biggest thing was just my own experience with it and how tough it really was to get the information that helped me the most. And it was something that took years and years of of trial and error, seeing therapists, 
looking at different resources, and it just took so long to figure out what was going to help me better my life and pull myself out of the rut. And, and so really that's what it was all about was, you know, me struggling, trying to figure out what to do, and then finally finding some different resources, some ways that I can build some skills and seeing how those improve my life. Yeah, cool. So what was your upbringing like? Um, you have siblings? I do have siblings. I'm the oldest of three kids. Got a younger brother and a younger sister. Grew up in Draper, Utah. Um, wow. Standard family. Mom, dad, family dog. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Did, um, what high school did you go to? I went to Alta. Oh, so you, I live in Sandy. There we go. So what, where, where did you grow up about? So I grew up actually right next to Corner Canyon High School. Oh, okay. Back then it was just a big cornfield. I actually yeah. worked in that cornfield yeah. when I was 14 or 15. So you're a farmer. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't love it. It was, yeah. it was a tough job, man. We made like $4 an hour. Really? Yeah. Learned to work. Yeah. I'm sure your parents uh, taught you a great work ethic. They uh, did. Farmers, one of the hardest working human beings on the planet. Yeah, it's yeah. the truth. How big was your corn field? So their, their corn field was, I mean, it was basically as big as the entire uh, campus over there at Corner Canyon. Really? Mm-hmm. And we would just grab buckets and go running through those. And it was only a corn field? Um, so they had, a, else? they had a few other fields. Their fields were really scattered throughout Draper, but oh. the, the Corner Canyon location was just a corn field. Then they have a, a few pumpkin patches that we worked in, some tomato fields. Wow. But yeah. Kind of got some some exposure to real hard work at a young age yeah. doing that. I'm huge. I have a, a pretty decent sized garden in my house, and I just I love farming. I don't know if I could do it full time and do mm-hmm. it for what ten twelve hours a day, or it's even probably a full time job, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when I was working, we did it about five hours a day just because we were so young, mm-hmm. and then uh, I mowed lawns on the side as well. Yeah. And so once I learned how hard farming was, I was like, maybe I should pivot a little more towards the lawn mowing. Yeah. And so I started to pr- pursue that a little more. But huh. yeah, it was it was definitely a solid experience. Tough Good stuff. You. What's your siblings' names? So my youngest brother is Hayden. Um, and then uh, I've got a sister who's in the middle of us. Her name's Maddie. Huh. Cool. Are you related to the Lees that um, the one boy plays for BYU? Um, I uh, believe, oh, I know them actually, Jan but we're, we're not related. You're not. Mm-hmm. But uh, I grew up playing sports with, with their family yeah. a bit here and there. Similar ages. Yep. Huh, cool. So what was, um, being raised in the Lee family like? How were your parents putting so, pressure, hardcore stress on you or were they pretty laid back? So that's the thing that I feel like they found a pretty happy medium. Um, growing up, me and both my, both me and my brother played sports, um, we were always really active, and, and my dad was really into sports. And, I mean, he definitely pushed us to, to play our best, but I don't feel like it was something that was super unhealthy or anything like that. Like, I feel like I got great support from my parents growing up. Um, yeah, they were awesome. Good. Good for you. Um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, before we started the podcast that uh, and you mentioned in your little bio thing there you struggled with anxiety and OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, explain to us or tell us a little bit about that story. Like, where did the anxiety, do you believe, come about in, in, in the OCD? Where did, where did that all stem from, do you believe? Yeah, ultimately, it, it just stemmed from small habits and, I guess, brain patterns. 
that slowly built up over time. Because if you'd asked me if I was experiencing anxiety or OCD as a high school student, I would have told you no. There's no way. But basically what happened was I had all these different behaviors that slowly built up over time, and then when I was 19, it just kind of ruptured. And it's almost like if you have a stress fracture in your leg, and you you don't really notice it's there, there's maybe a little bit of pain, but then you decide to run a marathon, and it just splits. Yeah. And that's kind of what it was like. It was like I had these these little habits, all these ways that I was reacting to impulses and trying to control things that I couldn't control that slowly built up over time until it was like something popped and I had a panic attack. And after the panic attack, I just had this heightened level of anxiety that just stayed. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't even know what it was. I wouldn't have really labeled it as anxiety. I remember actually being asked if... I'd ever experienced anxiety while I was going through all that? And my answer was no. I was like, I don't know what this is. So, yeah, that's kind of how I I came into it. It was just a a big break, and that panic attack really set it off. So when and where were you when you had the panic attack, and what do you believe caused it? So as far as the panic attack goes, um, I was actually down at the MTC in Provo, And I had just started my mission. I had been in there for a couple of months. Things have been actually going pretty well. Um, But I think, again, it was just that buildup of, I guess, unhealthy behaviors that that slowly built up. And and as far as a trigger, it was was just something really small. Like I I just had forgotten something, and all of a sudden that just set it off. Hmm. And that was it. Crazy. Yeah. So uh, I, you were in the MTC, I assume? Yep. And were you just getting ready to leave? Yeah, so I was a week away from heading out. Heading out on a mission. Mm-hmm. Huh. So did you end up still going out on your mission? So I did still go. Yeah, I, I pushed through the last week. Um, again, didn't really know what was going on, but decided, you know, I'm just going to go out there. You know, hopefully this thing will resolve. And uh, went out to the Philippines, actually. Um and then from there, uh, with the heightened sense or the heightened sense of anxiety, I uh, just engaged more and more and more in those unhealthy behaviors, trying to control it, trying to make it go away, mm-hmm. and it just got worse and worse. And so uh, I lasted about a month out there before I was in a pretty dark place, um, and just felt numb. I was super depressed, um, and and I just didn't know what to do. I, I just felt really lost, and yeah. Was there an outlet, or where did you go, or who did you talk to? Even like in the MTC, if you had a panic attack or nervous breakdown, whatever it may be, like who do you go talk to there, and what did they say? Like, hey, I'm struggling, I'm really anxious, I don't know what's going on, I'm losing my mind. Uh, what what's the like? What's their answer? Yeah, and and what so. Did they say to you? So as far as when I was in the MTC, when I, I first, I just flagged a, a random administrator down there and I was like, hey, I, I just had something weird happen to me. I don't know what this is. And he asked me if I'd ever experienced anxiety. And that was when I said, no, I don't, I don't think this is anxiety. I don't know what this is. And then so from there, I didn't talk to anyone else at the MTC, um, ended up going out and uh, eventually pulled my mission president aside and, and told him what was going on. And uh, he was like, all right, well, let's have you come to the mission home. Let's have you get on the phone with someone, uh, one of the mission counselors who was out in Hong Kong. And so ended up talking to him, and he was able to, to see it right off the bat that it was going to be something that I needed to resolve, and I wasn't going to be able to resolve there. Yeah. And, and so shortly after, I'd hop on a bus and 
took the trek home. Really? So then yep. did you, um, so you're only at a month or so maybe? Yep. And then was you a month coming out. back home to Salt Lake? Mm-hmm. Or to yep. Draper here? And then did you go back out or did you stay home? So I didn't end up going back out. I stayed home and just decided, you know what, I'm going to double down on studies, going to get myself healthy again, um, and just knew I needed to dedicate some time to, to recovering. Yeah, and so that's what I decided to focus on. Wow. I know uh, I've got a cousin um, named Dean. Um, he's, what, 50, almost 60 years old. I know he lives in Utah County, and he was uh, helping a little program where returned missionaries that were coming home that were struggling once they got out there. Mm-hmm. And then they'd come home, and they didn't have you know, anybody listening. They didn't have an ear, nowhere to go, and they started a little program to build these missionaries back up after they had come home from their mission. Yeah. And like for you, I can't imagine, I mean, that's like, that in itself is a stressful situation, right? Like I didn't make it, I failed, um, you know, I didn't succeed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then everybody's stories of, well, what actually happened, what was really going on, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. a whole nother can of worms to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot to navigate. Wow. Especially being a, a young 19-year-old guy, you're just thrown into the fire and, yeah. you know, everyone expects you to kind of be home and it's like you're home and, and you should be better now. It's like you're back in your safe space or whatever. Right. But for me, that wasn't the case. It was it was something that maybe I thought I would just get better, but I, I didn't just magically get better like that. It was yeah. something that I still had to work at quite a bit. Yeah. And nobody just gets better, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It takes work, it takes time, it takes some, you know, hardcore diligence to to manage these crazy minds yeah. that some of us have, right? Absolutely. Wow, pretty cool. Well, good for you. Glad you made it and that, that you're okay and that you're uh, getting yourself uh, back on your two feet and, and, and you've found a way to, to navigate through this Um through this uh, world of mental illness, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, good for you, buddy. So you uh, came home from the Philippines. Where were you in the Philippines? I had two buddies who went to the Philippines. So I was in the Baguio mission. So oh. the mission home was actually up in the mountains, um, where it's actually quite a bit cooler than everywhere else. Hmm. And so uh, started out there and then uh, went down into a place called Lingayan that's actually down by the beach, um, just in the north part of the Philippines. And that's where I was for the majority of the month. Cool. Good for you. So um, you came home, and I got to ask, because I'm sure that I'm curious, but uh, you still uh, practicing uh, LDS faith? Yes. Yes? Yep. You're still into it? Still into it. Still a believer, right? Yes. Cool. Um, So... uh, what are you doing with your life today? So today, basically, I'm I'm working. I like I said, like I said, I went to or went back into school. So I ended up finishing a degree in communications, and then right after that, I went into an accelerated MBA program, and uh, I enjoyed business. And so, basically, just jumped right into the business world after graduating. I, I helped run a little guitar studio in Draper for a, a good while, probably a year and a half. And then uh, after that, decided to go into some bigger companies. And so that's kind of what I have done this last year, um, is just worked at some bigger tech companies here in Utah. 
But the more I, I've started being more vocal about uh, mental health, which it wasn't until the beginning of 2019 that I really started doing that, that's what I found I've really got a passion for. And so mm-hmm. now I'm actually working on pivoting more into the mental health space yeah. and considering maybe going back to school if needs be, but who knows if I can make an impact you know, with what yeah. I've got and just the knowledge that I've gained through my own experiences, then I'll just go with that. Yeah, that's neat. The school of hard knocks, exactly. Right? You know, that's kind of how I um, ran into kind of understanding and studying and trying to get to the the meaning and the basics and the and the whys of this crazy mind that sometimes goes off mm-hmm. all on its own. And uh, you know, being a human being that's been there, that's suffered, that's had the anxiety, depression suicidal thoughts, I think it allows us as human beings to sit with somebody else and really understand and be able to get in another person's shoes and really see where they're coming from because we've been there, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so you might go to school, though, and study psychology, possibly? Yeah, basically, if I were to go back to school, I'd probably do a master's degree, um, would end up doing something like becoming a mental health counselor, so there is a master's degree in that, or... um, possibly social work so i'd have to do a little more a little more research into which one would be ideal but that's something that could crop up in the the next couple of years we'll see just kind of play it by ear yep exactly goes so what is anxiety do you believe could you just define it it's a good question um more than anything i feel like it's a symptom that's the first word that comes to my mind um i think a lot of people think that anxiety is the root problem whenever they're experiencing it. For me, it's a symptom of what's happening in their mind, right? It's a symptom of how they're responding to the thoughts and the emotions and the things that they're experiencing. And so that's really how I would define it, or define it, is it's, it's basically our body's reaction to the way that we are reacting, usually to things that we can't control. Yeah, good. Great definition. Do you believe that we um, create our own thoughts it's another good question. In, in a sense, yes and no, um, and I'll explain that. The, the way that I really look at thoughts, um, and, and even our brains in general, is our brain is an organ in our body, right? And we, in my opinion, aren't necessarily our body. Our body is a tool that we're using, right? We experience the world through it. And so what, uh, what I feel like our brain is is basically this, this blob that's almost like a computer, and it's just getting information inputs all day, every day. It's just taking in so much information. And so there are thoughts that just pop into our head, and those thoughts come from that information intake, right? And so it's almost like our brain is telling us, here, this might be relevant, this might be relevant, and depending on how we respond to that, that's either going to reinforce that or reinforce that pattern and whatever that is that our brain is throwing at us, or it's not. And so I think in the sense of just thoughts that pop into our head, I don't think we control those. I don't think we we can manipulate those in the moment too much. But I do think we have a lot of power on where we put our focus on next. So it's like there's a difference between thoughts that are popping up and then thinking, right? So the, the things that we're thinking about, if we're ruminating, we do have control over that. We, we can influence basically the focus that we are aiming at with our brains and with what we're, we're thinking about and, and I guess just going over in our heads over the long term. Yeah, I love that answer. That's solid. Um, so where do you do all your research? Like, where do you come up with uh, your information? You, do you do a lot of reading? 
Do you watch a lot of, uh, listen to a lot of podcasts, YouTubes? Where's your major source of information coming so it's, from? It's a big mix of everything. Um, it actually started out on YouTube, um, just researching OCD. I, I knew off the bat when I first came back, started to see therapists, I, I kind of had this, this hunch that it was more OCD than general anxiety, which it took a while to even get to that diagnosis. But um, I just had this hunch, and I started researching a little bit about it, trying to find people who had recovered, and, and just seeing how people had, deal, or had dealt with it, and ended up stumbling upon a couple of really good YouTube channels. And, I mean, they, they were the first light in the dark tunnel. Mm-hmm. was, you know, okay, some people have seriously overcome this stuff. And it was interesting because they, they had a different take on it than what I was receiving in therapy. Therapy, yeah. And, and in therapy, it was a lot of like, you know, this is what you've got. This is the hand you're dealt. You're going to have to deal with this. It's going to make it so that, you know, maybe you should slow down with school. You shouldn't be as aggressive with, you know, your ambitions and all of that kind of thing. It's like you're just going to have to take it easy and make it so that you don't overwhelm yourself. And mm-hmm. there was something about that that just didn't sit well with me. I was like, no, I've got a lot to do. Yeah. And there, there are things that I care about. And so being able to find that empowering resource that was like, you know what, you can still live a good life regardless of, you know, whatever diagnosis you may have. And so obviously there are degrees of that. And, you know, some people may have more limitations than others. But, I mean, really, I found that, you know, by building skills, there, there's a lot you can do, even if, you know, you're prone to anxiety, you're prone to OCD, you're prone to depression. There's a lot you can do about that. Yeah. Wow. So talk to us about uh, OCD. What's your definition or, uh, of OCD and how you've learned to manage that? Yeah. So, I mean, standard, I guess, defining the acronym is obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. And what it comes down to is your brain throwing impulses at you. Some of them could be deemed as like false alarms, um, just depends. But your brain throws these impulses at you and you just respond. You feel like you have to respond. And so it could be something as simple as, you know, this, the stereotype OCD um, situation is like, I'm worried that, you know, my hands aren't clean and I'm going to go wash my hands. So I go wash my hands and then basically maybe like moments after I'm done washing my hands, I get that same impulse. It hits me again. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my hands are not clean. I need to go back and wash them. And then it's like, I go wash them again, and it just feeds that cycle. And basically what happens is every time you engage in one of those compulsive behaviors, that's kind of what they're called, when, whenever you engage in something that is trying to extinguish the anxiety, you're trying to basically resolve whatever uncertainty your brain is throwing at you. So maybe my hands are clean. Maybe I'm contaminated. Maybe, you know, X, Y, or Z is going to happen because of this. And I need to do something about it. Every time you actually do something about it and you engage with that in that manner, you're reinforcing that fear in your head. And so it's, it's something that happens really slowly. And I mean, it, it happens really at such a, a low level to start with that you don't even notice it. And it's even deemed normal. Like it's, it's normal now to impulsively check your phone. But if you dig deep into, you know, why those impulses are coming, you know, they could be stemming from, you know, I'm worried I'm going to be lonely. I feel like I need to distract myself because, you know, life is tough or whatever. And every time you engage in whatever that impulse is for that reason, whether it's subconscious or not, you're reinforcing that. Yeah. And, and that's what OCD is all about is it's just taking you down that pathway. Yeah. 
reinforcing this uh, negative behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Negative behavior. You're just fueling anxiety. And it's, it's so interesting because you do get a hint of relief whenever you do it. Like yeah. if, I, if I'm experiencing the hand-washing thing or maybe it's probably best to think of maybe another example there. Um, another common one is door locks, door locks right? Yeah. If I, I feel like I that. need to double-check my door or whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down there, I'm going to double-check it, Bam, every time that I go do that, I'm reinforcing the the fear behind whatever that is. You know, someone's going to break in. It's going to, you know, wreck my family life. They're going to steal everything. We're all going to be dead. I don't know, yeah. right? You're just reinforcing the fear there. And, and that means next time you get the impulse, it's going to come stronger. And if you don't engage in it, you're going to feel that much more anxiety. Right. So what is the solution to not washing your hands uh, every 20 minutes? Uh, what's the solution to not locking your door three or four or five times a night? What have you found that uh, allows you to get out of that uh, behavior? So the first thing is awareness, I would say, and just understanding what's going on. Because for so long, at least in my experience, I just ended up being a puppet to all these impulses. Right. It was like they would come, immediately I felt like I had to respond to them, and I did. I was down there locking the door, and um, whatever whatever else it was, like it was just controlling my life. And, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is, yeah, there are the superficial ones, like hand-washing, door locks, um, compulsive checking, like maybe you're worried about a relationship and you feel like you need to constantly text someone, make sure that you know things are okay. Um, but there's a lot of it that goes on just in your head. Yeah. And it's it's like you have this unlimited stash of basically almost like a drug that you can just take a hit of any time and extinguish whatever the fear is. And every time you do that, you're just reinforcing whatever it is behind there. And so um, I think first it's important to realize that, you know, this this is something that it can go a lot deeper than just external actions. It can be something that's really deep-seated in your mind. Yeah. Hmm. So just creating an awareness. Mm-hmm. To even know what's going on, yeah. right? Yeah, I would say that's definitely the first step is just awareness. And then once you're aware of it and you can see when it's happening, how it's happening, you can start digging into, okay, what are the beliefs that I have that are fueling these? Because oh. it's not just how you respond, it's it's what you believe. You know, it's like if you believe you 100% have to be in control of all the things around you, that's that's not going to be helpful for you in the long run, right? You're just going to... Yeah you're going to wipe yourself out and, and exhaust yourself trying to control everything. Yeah. And so I think digging into those beliefs and then you can start making interventions by basically accepting those impulses as they are. They're just thoughts that your brain is suggesting to you. You mm-hmm. can respond to them how you want. Right. And so then you can actually start changing the way that you respond to them. You can change your relationship with those thoughts, with those feelings, and you can actually break down that pattern and what that does is it makes it so that, you know, your body stops responding in a way that just gives you a ton of anxiety. It, it stops throwing that warning signal at you that you've been reinforcing for so long. But it takes a lot of work to do that. Yeah. So when you get those beliefs behind the reasoning of why I need to wash my hands or why I need to lock my door or why I got to get on uh, social media and why I got to check in with my partner to make sure they still love me, things are okay. Um, do you get in and like actually question the belief system? And is there a way you go about it? Or do you just do that in your mind? Is there a, a process that you go through so necessarily? The, the process that I go through is, is, like I said, first recognizing it, right? I want to identify what's the belief. And then 
What I want to break down next is, okay, what is my response or the next action that I'm taking reinforcing, mm-hmm. right? Is it reinforcing that belief or is it not? And so the way that, that you change beliefs, at least for me and in my experiences, is through those actions and kind of configuring your reasons for the actions around. Because I'm not going to just drop washing hands forever, right? I can't just sure. say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have unclean hands forever or whatever. But I'm still going to wash my hands. That's still something that matters to me is, you know, taking care of my body. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. Now I'm going to wash my hands because I want to take care of my body, not out of fear of contaminating my family or something like that. Right. Right. And so the way that I reconfigure those is, okay, like I'm washing my hands now because I want to take care of my body. Right. And it's like basically just I'm going to tell myself that I'm going to do it. And I'm going to basically set almost like a limit on what I'm going to do. It's like, I get one chance and, you know, I can't like go crazy and turn the water all hot. It's like, I'm just going to wash them real quick. I'm going to let any feelings, any thoughts that come up that maybe you're trying to fight that. Um, I'm just going to let them come and I'm going to let them be there. And I'm going to stick with, you know, this basic action, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and so that's how I've slowly kind of assessed and then reconfigured my beliefs is just by identifying them and then, um, I guess in a sense, questioning them, basically yeah. just kind of reconfiguring them around the things that I want to do. Mm. And, and I think that's probably one of the most important parts of this is basically anything can become a compulsion. Meditation can be a compulsion. Exercise can be a compulsion. If you're doing those things to run from your life, you're doing those things to extinguish the feelings that you're experiencing, you're building a negative relationship with that thing. And it's going to make it so that every time you experience heightened anxiety, depression, whatever it is that you're trying to get rid of, you're going to need to go do that. Yeah. And, and when you're not able to, it's going to make you really uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a good thought. Great thought. Um, what about the ego? Do you believe that uh, the ego is the one that's kind of working this little wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, lock your door, lock your door, lock your door, just so it can keep a life? Or do you... What is your definition of like ego? Like, what's who's little guy that's that's uh, saying wash your hand ten times? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question, and I think it could be a little bit of ego. In my opinion, it's it's your brain wanting to protect you, mm-hmm. right? Your brain is worried about you, and it wants to help you. And so, basically, if you confirm something to your brain as being a danger to you what you're doing every time you you go back and wash your hands again, you're basically saying, you know, if I don't go do this, it's, you know, life or death situation. And that's how it feels when you have OCD. It's like you just get this crazy amount of anxiety that just hits you and it makes you feel like you absolutely have to. Um, But it, it really is, it's almost like just this inner child in you that's worried about you. Right. That's kind of how I identify it. It's like, yeah. it's, like it's really just trying to protect you. Yeah. And once you can recognize that, you can kind of take a step back from it. And do you think it's trying to protect you or does it just want you to pay attention to it? I'd say both. Both? Yeah. I mean, it, it wants you to pay attention to it. It wants you, um, I think, to just just dig deeper and, and see what's there, I guess. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I think a big part of it is, is like I said, just, just, it's, it's afraid, yeah. right? There's a part of you that is afraid of, you know, whatever. And it's a way that that's kind of manifesting. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like the, you know, it, it's like Byron Katie, which I'm a fan of, which we talked about earlier, but she says, it's just that little, 
person inside of you that wants you to understand that the information that's coming in is not true. It's not real, so it wants to question it. Wants you to question it, like you said, and what's the underlying beliefs between uh, or for this need of hand washing, of door locking? Like, what is that need? What is that little child trying to say, or how is it trying to get to you? And that's why she's such a huge fan of questioning the belief system before Mm -hmm. what's the belief you have about what are the thoughts on why you need to wash your hands. You know, say, well, i got to wash my hands, otherwise I'm going to get sick. Well, is it sick you're going to get? Is it true you're going to get sick if you don't wash your hands? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then then she says, you know, you walk through, and then once you understand it, then that little inner child, that little ego or whatever, that little guy that's running us, um, can kind of settle down and say, oh, okay, now I understand that it's not necessary to wash my hand 10 times in an hour. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to move on to my next uncomfortable OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and then I'm going to question that one too until the mind or the ego of the little child understands it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how she explains it. Absolutely. Yeah, you know? and, and I think that's that's a really good point. Um, and it, it just brings to light how much our actions are driven by our underlying belief systems. Mm-hmm. And I think a really a really good thing to remember, whether you're experiencing anxiety, depression, OCD, um, it's really easy to get caught up in the theme. And the theme would be something like hand washing yeah. or door locking, yeah. right? It's really easy to take that superficial thing and say, this is the problem. And even in OCD, we, um, in the world of therapy, we like to classify it as like, you know, I have harm OCD, which is like, I'm afraid I'm going to lose control of myself and, you know, hurt other people. I have, you know, homosexual OCD. I'm afraid of, you know, just like going off the rails in in terms of my sexuality, whatever it is. We love to put them in these buckets, but it's always the same pattern behind whatever that theme is. And what's interesting is if you don't address those underlying beliefs, and even if you're, you're making changes, so you're, for example, you know, we'll keep it simple and say we're stopping our hand washing. Um, if I still keep the underlying belief or the, I keep fueling the fear of, you know, if I don't wash my hands, like if I follow this thing down um, and say, you know, if I don't wash my hands, I'm going to get sick or I'm going to contaminate my family. They're going to die. I'm going to be alone. All of a sudden it's like, all right, I just found my root fear, right? Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of being alone. Afraid of or death too. Or right? death. Yeah. I mean, th- those two, they're, they're at the root of most of these things. It doesn't matter what it is. And compulsions or OCD obsessions, they come in a million flavors, right? It's, it's like we're only scratching the surface by talking about some of these like easier to understand ones. Um, they, they can be literally anything. Yeah. And so being able to figure out, okay, what's my belief system, especially as it relates to that deeper fear. Yeah. If I don't resolve that belief system, this thing's just going to keep cropping up. It's going to crop up in different ways. It's going to it's going to come at you from a different angle that you're not expecting, and you're going to be right back in it. But it's just going to be a different theme. Yeah. Show up with a different face. Yeah. So the key is getting to the root cause, right? Mm-hmm. The root cause of what's creating the fear. At the end of the yeah. day, it's fear, right? Always. You know. Yep. Uh, I often uh, say or whatever that, that we operate from two places: either fear or love. So it's either operating from one or the other. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and if you're operating from fear, that's when the OCD shows up, mm-hmm. right? Totally, and and that's that's what it is. Like when I say you're being a puppet, you're being a puppet to fear. Yeah, and it's, it's literally controlling you. Yeah, 
That's where you live from, yeah. That's why the anxiety, the OCD, the depression, it all shows up is there's an underlying belief that, that you're afraid of something. And it's, uh, the, like I say, we put it on the doorknob, but it's really mm-hmm. way deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So totally. getting to that root cause and then questioning that root, cro- root cause will alleviate the majority of your anxiety and your OCD once you completely understand it. Yeah. So sometimes it's funny that that little guy that's, monkey minding you 100 million miles an hour to do all these little things it just really wants to be understood mm-hmm. like hey this is stressing me out and this is why could you please get to the root cause and re- you know find out you know what's causing all this and then we can move on mm-hmm. absolutely so. and it's it's really empowering to to learn about you know some of the skills of acceptance especially as it comes with you know mindfulness and learning how to build those skills is so valuable because that's, in, in my case, that's what really resolved it, was being able to identify that root fear, see how it is controlling so many facets of my life, and then just start accepting it as it is. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be afraid. Sure. Right? I don't have to get rid of the fear to have a good life. But I can live with those feelings that it's throwing at me. Right? Mm-hmm. And I don't have to reinforce those feelings. And slowly as I stop reinforcing them, the anxiety starts to go down, starts yeah. to subside. Right? And I'm able to accept it. Mm-hmm. But... I will say that whenever you start doing that, so let's say you get into, you know, you start doing some mindfulness practice, you start working on accepting these things, there's essentially like this mountain you've got to get over. Because when you first start doing that, your body's going to freak out. It's going to throw all sorts of anxiety at you. And it's going to really torment you to try to get you to go back to those compulsions because you're exposing that fear. It's like you're now vulnerable, right? You're not doing anything to protect yourself. And so that's what it's about. It's like accept that root fear, accept the ways that it's manifesting itself in all of your your life and shift your actions from that fear-based mindset to a values-based mindset. And that's, I'd say, that's one of my biggest things is figure out what your values are, figure out what you care about in your life, write them down, and start aiming your actions at those, right? And doing them because you value those things. Yeah, cool. Good thoughts, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's crazy that uh, that fear, it's almost like everything stems from fear, mm-hmm. you know, and that little ego mind, even your the fear of, of uh, helping yourself, finding an answer, um, going to sit or meet with somebody that understands the situation you're in, uh, whatever's in you will fight that tooth and nail because it also I feel like sometimes the ego doesn't want to get figured out. Mm-hmm. doesn't want you to find a solution because then it no longer has its claws on you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a comfort zone. You know? Yeah. You know, it's it's like this, as almost sadistic as it is, it's a comfort zone. It's like yeah. when I'm engaging in all those compulsions and trying to control all that fear, it's like it feels safe. Yeah. And the ego wants that. Yeah. It thinks it's safe. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it it's actually it's scared safe. to death, right? Mm-hmm. Scared to death and it's just getting scareder. That's... That's what's so odd to me because, mm-hmm. you know, you meet with somebody, you run into them, you meet them here and there and said, oh, yeah, I'll call you next week. I'll show up at your group next week. I'll be there for sure, for sure, for sure. And they start processing, oh, I'm going to have to look at some things. I'm going to have to maybe get vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to maybe share in front of a group. I'm going to maybe cry. I might yeah. get upset, you know. And at the end of the day, um, that little ego will keep you under its wrap and say, oh, no, nah, just stay home. You're mm-hmm. good. Stay home and, and in this 
little place of comfort, right? Yeah. At group the other night, um, when this was, I don't know, a few nights ago, when this, this won't post for 10 days or so, but uh, we had a gal there that uh, was struggling with some thoughts and about childhood, and she, uh, um, her parents got divorced at a young age, so she took on upon herself to make sure everybody was okay in the family except for her. You know what I mean? So she mm-hmm. took on this mother role as a 10, 12, 14-year-old. I can't remember. But so we talked further and further and get an hour, hour and a half into it. Then at the end of the, you know, group or whatever, and we started chatting more. And it's it's crazy. But as we discussed her situation and what she was going through, um, and I said to her, you know, it's crazy. This You would never believe this, but now that you've got this newfound sense of understanding and awareness, that all along you've been afraid of love. And she goes, I would have never believed you for the last 20 years of my life until you just walked me through this process. But she goes, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Because now that what I've found with this new awareness is that I was afraid of love, you know, and I kept pushing away and doing all these things because you know, out of safety. I thought it was safe. Mm-hmm. I thought it was comfortable or whatever. And, you know, cause she didn't want to cry. She kept going to cry and she'd start laughing. Mm-hmm. And my mom's at the group too. And she says, let those f- emotions have their life. Yeah. She's like, cry, you know, and the girl just broke down and she's just like, man, I always try to hide my emotions. Cause I think that's the right thing to do and make sure everything's okay. But man, let those emotions flow and then mm-hmm. fall back in love with yourself. Yeah, you know, and it was just—it's just fascinating that we're afraid of love, and that's why we keep ourselves contained or locked up, and we're afraid to go sit in a group, go to a community, and be vulnerable because we're afraid of what might shows up. And the only thing that ever shows up—that's ever showed up at our group—is love, mm-hmm. unconditional love. But yet, deep down, that's a scary thing. Yeah, it's for it's some risk. Yeah. You know, it's like you—it's like you said—you don't know what's going to show up. Um, and, and for me, that's where, where values come in. And I feel like so much, so much of discovering our values is discovering that love, you know, like when I really dug into my values, I discovered, I actually want to help people. You know, that's what I want a lot of my life to be about. I want to be able to help myself and be able to help other people with my experiences. And I think that's true for, you know, most or all of us is deep down, we have that desire. And, and I think, you know, being able to dig in and, and get to that place, that's so valuable. Yeah, for sure. What's your definition of success? Success for me is a moment-by-moment moment thing. And, I mean, success can be defined as simply, like, being with my breath right now, right? If I'm paying attention to what is happening right now and I am basically being the person that I want to be, living in accordance to my values, that's success. And so for me, it's not necessarily an outcome-based um, endeavor. And I think that can get us into a lot of trouble as if you know we're basing our success off of you know winning a championship, getting this job, having this type of a situation happen. Because yeah. those things are a lot of times out of our control. Sure. So for me, success is all about, you know, am I being who I want to be right now? Love it. Being happy now. Mm-hmm. That's a good answer, bro. Very good answer. So you were raised in the LDS 
religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a, two of my favorite questions I like to ask my guests. Yeah, throw um, them at me. So obviously you believe in God. Yep. So what does um, your God look like? How would you explain um, your God? Because obviously there's how many billions of people on this planet? <laughs> 10, 12 billion or something? Mm-hmm. And we all have a God, or some of us that are atheists do not have a God, but I think the majority of people are um, believe in a, some type of God. What does yours look like? And is it a person? Is it an energy? Like, like what is it for you? Yeah, for me, God is, is a being, right? He's essentially, I mean, like, like what we're taught in, in the LDS, um, I guess, doctrine. Like, I believe he, you know, he's a being like us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I believe he, he loves us. And I think that's what matters. I think he's, you know, he's there to guide us. And, you know, I think sometimes, or a lot of times, you know, it's, it's hard to find him in our lives. But I think he's a being who has influence. And, and, I, and really, I, th- I think he is the full embodiment of love. And that's who he is to me. Cool. And then my next question, um, do you believe in Satan? Yes, <laughs> I do. And I... It's it's such a good question because like the I don't know exactly how he works, what he is, because it's like <laughs> me neither. I don't know, man. Um, but I mean, I believe that there there are forces that you know negative negatively influence us, and you know whether you want to call it Satan, whether you want to call it the the natural man, combination of the both or of the two, um, it it's sticky territory. But I mean, I. I believe in in that, and and if you want to give that name or give those those types of things and names like Satan, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. So does hell exist? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. I think we can experience it here. Yeah. OCD, right? OCD. <laughs> uh, there there are so many forms of anxiety. Hell. <laughs> you can depression. You can experience hell so much here. Divorce. Yep. Divorce. Your your world just gets flipped Death. upside down. All yeah. of it, man. Anything, I mean, right? Just it's pain. And I think so much of it can come from you know what what we do either to ourselves or to others. And you know, the way that we we even talk to ourselves can put us in a state of hell. You know, the way that we we position ourselves in regard to our worth. Yeah. That kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear you on that one, bro. Um, what would you want God to say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? I mean, I'd want him to welcome me. Yeah. Like, here you go, you're home. Welcome you home. You did it. You survived. You survived. <laughs> you know, you were able to help people. Yeah. It's like, come on in. Yeah. And you found yourself. Mm-hmm. You found out who you were. I think that's that's yeah. a really good point. You, f- you know, you found out who you were and... You know, like your your purpose was served. You you went after it as hard as it was. Yeah. You made it home on earth. Mm-hmm. Good job. There we go. Yeah, okay. that's really profound. I love that. Um, what two questions would you ask God if you could ask God any two questions? Man, that is a good question. I'd probably ask him. I mean, there's so much to ask. I mean. One of the biggest things is, you know, 
why does it work the way that it does? I mean, just life in general, mm-hmm. you know? I'd probably ask him, I would dig into that. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that, that second one. Um, I just ask him, you know, what's the purpose of eternity, I guess? I mean, that's just a random question that comes up in my mind, you know, and how does, how does this life fit into that, you know? So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to dig into that's well over my head. (laughs) You wonder too, uh, so what happens after this? Do you come back as another human being and go through this experience again? Become a butterfly, (laughs) bird, dog? Some reincarnation. Cow. Yeah. Tree. What do you think happens after this? I mean, for me, I feel like it's it's a lot of the same, just in a different state, you know, in, in a more pure state where there's a lot more understanding. And, you know, I think I, I think a lot of it is really going to be similar to our experience here, but just with more understanding. But I think we're going to interact with each other the same way. I think, you know, the the dynamic of... Um, I guess the pull between pain, pleasure, and then rising above that, those two forces, um, mm. I think all that's going to be there. Yeah. Pain, and uh, here's a thought for you. As you m- mentioned, pain and pleasure, um, it's either anticipated or remembered. In what sense? Uh, in the way that... Um, you experience pain and pleasure because you're either in a you're in the future, uh, or even in the, like you're in the past. You take something this is exciting from the past and you put it on the now, right? Mm-hmm. And then you want more of it in the future. So, pain, like Byron Katie explains this much better than I can, but it's it's never like happening now. It's always something that's happened in the past and then you're putting on the now and then it's gone. So it's in the future and then we're always searching for it. Mm -hmm. So we really never experience the pain because notice when you, if you ever cut your finger, next time you get hurt or something happens, notice in that moment, the second it happens, there's no pain. Mm -hmm. But when the mind starts working and starts thinking about the future, that's when the pain sets in. Or it starts thinking about the past because it remembers last time that you cut your finger or broke your arm or broke your leg and you remember what that experience was. So in the moment, there's no pain, there's no pleasure. It's, it's forecasted, mm-hmm. essentially. Can you hear that? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Isn't that's, that crazy? It's really in line with, I've been just dabbling with this book. Uh, I got an audio book. It was actually recommended um, by a guy named Thomas McConkie here in the Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Science of Enlightenment. Um, and it's all about mindfulness, that kind of thing. Um, and in it, he, he breaks down basically the components of suffering. And in it, a part of it is saying that suffering comes from pain multiplied by existence. So wow. pain doesn't always have to be suffering. Right. You can experience pain, right? But when you resist it, a lot of like what you said, like you're, you're basing that pain off of, what's happened in the past or what you want to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. It's like all of a sudden you're building up this resistance and it hurts. Yeah. Right. It's like you're, you're projecting it. And so I think there's a lot of truth to what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting um, thought and you can really never experience anything now cause it's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
It's like now gone, now gone, now gone, now gone, now gone. <laughs> Always. So there's really what are you experiencing? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe nothing. I think all we're experiencing is our thoughts that are either forecasted or remembered. Mm-hmm. And that's all that's going on is past, present, past, present. And then like what's really going on right here is like, I don't know, because it's gone. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> I don't know. Lose my mind. Nutty. Yep. Um, and as we talk about that, like, have you, you have any thoughts on like the mind and the body? Like as far as um, does the body follow the mind or does the mind follow the body? Have you got into any of that in your research? For me, I think they're they're one and the same. Like I think our, I mean, I guess it depends because I think our brain is definitely a piece of our body, right? And then our mind can be broken down into essentially the observer, right? Where it's like, I can observe the thoughts I'm having, the feelings I'm experiencing, and I can just sit back and watch all that happen, right? And then there's the the piece of the mind that's engaged in all of it. It's doing the thinking. It's the thoughts are popping up in it. And, you know, sometimes it's really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think those are the two key components of the mind. It's like we've got this observer there, and then we have the actual thinking mind, yeah. I think, as it's been termed. Yeah. I like that. So do you believe the body follows the mind or the mind follows the body? Like what comes first in as far as the order of? For the most part, I think, I think the body follows the mind a lot. I think, you know, we, we have thoughts, we judge those thoughts, we have beliefs about those thoughts, and our body responds in accordance. Uh, I agree with you 100% because I think everything's created by thoughts. Mm-hmm. Everything's created by thoughts. Yeah. That's all that exists, really, your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Who would you be without your thoughts? I don't know. Just a blob of intelligence. Yeah, but then it's like, what does an intelligence do? Yeah. <laughs> would you think? exist? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Who would you be without your thoughts? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's tough. Because, I mean, in our in our form now, like... So much of what I've learned has pushed me to focus on actions. Yeah. So it's like, but even then, it's like those actions are driven by, you know, by thoughts. Some, some cognitive processing that's going on. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I believe all actions are driven by thoughts. Because mm-hmm. you've got to have the thought first to perform the action, right? 100%. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's profound. Who would you be it's without deep. your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Nothing. You really, it, it's kind of, I like to look back. Do you remember your first childhood memory? Yeah. How old were you? I don't even know. Like ballpark. Two, three. Two or three. Yeah. Do you remember what you were doing or what was going on? One of my earliest ones was, I remember hitting my head on the coffee table and I had to go get stitches. Yeah. I think it was, since it was traumatic, that's probably why I remember it. Right. That's the first time you realized you probably had a body. Mm-hmm. And before that thought, who were you? Man, I don't know. I was just there. Watch children. Mm-hmm. Watch little one and two and three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they know who they are. Mm-hmm. They haven't recognized it yet because they haven't put, like, you know, mom and dad says, this is your name and here's your mm. body. They don't have the labels yet. They don't have the labels. They don't have the conditioning. They don't have the, you know, you're a human being yet. They're just, they're just being. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And then once you bonk your head and then you put two and two together, it's like, oh, this is me. Mm -hmm. That's the day you're born. It's like you, you suddenly come to real consciousness. Yeah, that's when you come into your consciousness. And then before that, who were you? Because all you did you have any thoughts? Did you <laughs> exist? In your mind, you didn't exist because otherwise I think you would have memories mm-hmm. of being one or two or three years old. Like my first memory is five, but a lot of people can go back to two and three. Mm-hmm. But then even sometimes they just saw a picture yeah. That they remember, oh, that's me. I remember when that happened because it was traumatic or mm-hmm. we went on this vacation. Oh, there's me in Disneyland. That's my first thought. We were at Disneyland. But sometimes you're just looking at a picture that reinforces mm-hmm. that memory. So, yeah. so sometimes you've got to dig deep. Do you have some insight? What are you before you have that moment, I guess, where you become conscious? I'd say nothing. Yeah. That's who I think we still are mm-hmm. until we believe our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Because who would you be without your thoughts? Because all we're doing is believing thoughts. Like, this is my hand. Mm-hmm. Is it really? Or is that just what the world's told me for the last 48 years? <laughs> so yeah. who would I be before somebody told me that? So say you're raised in the forest, you don't have a mirror in front of you every day to look at, and you can't see yourself. And all you can see, you could see your hands, but you can never see you. Mm-hmm. Like, who would you be in the forest being raised on your own? Yeah without the world conditioning and telling you who you are, what you ought to be doing and whatever, like, what would it be? Maybe you just be this, maybe there's just this mass consciousness out there, you know, and maybe you'd be one with the forest Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't say tree Mm -hmm. and leaves and ground and sky and pond and lake. You would just be. Yeah. Maybe there'd be no separation, but since you're a Nelson and I'm a Brandon, that creates separation. Mm Mm-hmm the label it's the label that's put on us and then we believe the label and now we think we're separate Mm -hmm. but are we really separate or is there just this massive thought bubble out there that we're all sharing but then we we agree to these ideologies that we're an individual Mm -hmm. but are we really yeah that's it brings up some really good points and it, it goes hand in hand with with that book that i mentioned um talking about you know is as we work on basically being able to just be okay with, you know, sitting, watching our thoughts, and kind of being that observer, there is this sense of connection that, you know, we're bigger than just this individual self. And I'd agree with I that. think there's a lot to it. Yeah. And, you know, being able to get into that understanding, which, I mean, I feel like, for me, I'm still at the very beginning of, like, even comprehending what that's all about. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. Because the labels, I almost believe they limit us. Like, Mm -hmm. I believe any label that you put on yourself is limiting who you actually are. Even like religion. Mm -hmm. When you say, hey, I'm LDS, I'm Catholic, I'm Hinduism, I'm Buddhism, that creates a separation. Because then if I'm a Buddhist and you're a Mormon, Mm -hmm. now we're separate. Yeah, we're in different buckets. So I prefer to have, like, no religion. Because then that allows everybody to come into my life. Mm -hmm. Instead of... a you know, agreeing or, or playing in just one field. Yeah. I want to play in all the fields, mm-hmm. basically. That's you're kind not of limited. Like, yeah, then you're not limited. Mm-hmm. And then it allows you to think a lot more, I believe, for yourself because you're not believing the doctrine you're being taught. You're, you're believing the doctrine you're learning on your own. You're asking questions. Mm-hmm. You're out there grinding. You yeah. know, which one of these makes sense? Mm-hmm. 
you know, why does this human being behave the way that he behaves? And why am I so drawn to this human being yet? We're on completely separate ends of the spectrum as far as, as far as religion goes, but yeah. I'm really drawn to this human being and why, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and there, there's truth out there everywhere. Absolutely. And, I mean, that's, that's what I've come to find, especially, you know, as I've gone into this mindfulness stuff, kind of learned a lot about, you know, the Buddhism mm-hmm. um, or the Buddhist religion, if I guess debatable whether it is a religion. <laughs> yeah. But religion um, aura. Yeah. What do they call it? A um it's like a, a philosophy. A philosophy, yes. yeah. They say but both, but it's still a religion because I believe people are they follow it. Mm-hmm. And they do what they say. Yeah. I believe that's a religion. Yeah. I mean But everybody'd argue, no, no, it's not a religion, it's a philosophy. But yet mm-hmm. I've hung out with some Buddhist people and been to some Buddhist experiences and it still feels pretty religious to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, where do you draw the line? I That's don't know. my story, though. No. I interrupted you, sorry, which I... <laughs> my intent is never to. What were you saying? No, you're good. I don't know. I don't know where we were at. We were just going. You were talking about Buddhism. Oh, Buddhism. I mean, just, I mean, the... I guess my core understanding, just below all those religions, is, you know, there's truth out there everywhere. And, you know, there's truth to be found not in religion. There's truth to be found, you know, within ourselves, yeah. within, you know, our connection to others, like what we were talking about, how... <laughs> You know, there is a sense of oneness between all of us. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in that sense of self. And it's like, I am this separate being that basically only conceptualizes myself like that. And if I continue to be that way, like, that's going to really limit the way that I can see the world and connect with other people. Yeah. 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 Cool. I think that's it. Um, You mentioned, was it Thomas McConkie? Thomas McConkie. So... Before the podcast, you said there's a little group that he puts together down in uh, Utah County. Yeah, so he has tell us a little bit about that, just uh, so our listeners somewhere they can go and hang out. You know, I have a group that we run, but yeah, all groups are good. Community is great. Totally. So he does uh, meetups basically once a month. Um, I'm not sure if he still does one down in Provo, but he for sure does one in Salt Lake. Oh, I know Salt he, Lake. I know he used to do okay. one in each. Okay. Um, but the one I've been going to is in Salt Lake, and it's one Wednesday a month. And basically, you you get together, and I mean, he has he has a really interesting story, and a lot of his story has to do with um, the LDS faith. Basically, from my understanding, um, he walked away from it at a young age. He ended up getting really into Buddhism, even moved to Asia, and it just totally changed his his world and then he ended up coming back and he found ways to combine everything that he had learned with his belief in Christ because he had always still felt drawn to Christ if I'm not mistaken and so um his his events or his his group meetups are they're for they're for everyone it's not for necessarily for you know people who are only LDS people who are outside of it um it's just this place where you can go and you can explore yourself. You can explore community in a lot of the sense that we're talking about, the sense of oneness, and kind of go through and conceptualize just some of, I guess, the ways that we can interact with ourselves and other people and the way that, you know, we can use mindfulness to, I guess, bring forth who we are. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I would cool. summarize it. But, yeah, it's, it's a really cool little environment. Like I said, one one Wednesday a month. Um, if you want to look him up, his website is, I believe it's lowerlightswisdom.org, I want to say, maybe .com. Anyway, if you Google Lower Lights Wisdom, you'll find it. Cool. Another tool. 
Yeah, another good tool. Yeah, I love it. Um, who do you most admire on this planet and why? If you could pick a one human being mm-hmm. or a couple. That's a good question. I mean, because there are so many members of my family that I think of. Like, I think of my mom, my dad, my grandparents, um, and they they just embody love. Like, I just think about the way that they live their life, and, like, some of them have had really hard lives. And they just, they stick to what they believe. They stick to loving others. And, I mean, there's a lot to admire about that. And I think there's... You know, some some might look in and say, you know, maybe they have a mediocre life. They have, you know, the standard American, you know, middle class life. But I think there's a lot to to what they're doing and what they've done with their lives. You know, the ways that they've been able to connect with their family, with the people around them. And there's a lot to that. Cool. Sounds like you got some neat parents. They're good people. Some neat family. Get along well with your siblings. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say me and my sister struggled when we were younger. <laughs> it was like the older brother, middle child sister syndrome or whatever. But, yeah, like we're we're all great now. Cool. Yeah. What's your thoughts on education? What do you think about education nowadays as far as uh, college and that? You're a college. You've got a master's in business, right? Mm-hmm. So are you a huge fan of education? It's a good question. Today. And after after going through all of it, um, there's a lot about the education system that I did not love. Um, and I found that I, I learned really well on my own. Um, and it just depends on what you're going to do, I think, in your life. Like, the role that education plays in your life should be targeted at whatever your goals are. And for me, especially with, with business, um, I don't know if I needed the degrees that I got. It would have been, I wish I could run a simulation and see what it would have been like if I just went for it out of the gate mm-hmm. and didn't go to school at all. Um, but, I mean, it, it's so tough to say, especially because, I, I mean, I've only been out for a few years now. But it's it's a lot of time and a lot of commitment. And to get a, a return on that investment, like, I feel like you got to have your ambitions pretty dialed into what you want to do. And that was something that I didn't have. I bounced around a lot in school. And it was good because I learned a lot of different things. But at the same time, like, I feel like if I would have just gone in and discovered who I was and just started pursuing my, my ambitions right off the bat, maybe I would have discovered that sooner. Maybe I would have discovered, you know, I want to go into mental health um, a lot sooner. And I feel like, you know, if you do want to become, you know, a licensed clinician or something like that, you do need school. You know, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, if that's something you value and want to pursue, then school is an important part of that. Yeah. It's going to open doors for you. But, you know, otherwise, you don't need it. And, you know, the world is going more skills-based. So, I mean, if your purpose of going to school is just to get a job, it's like you should be sure about what is that job, what are the skills that I'm going to get from school, how is that going to get me to that job? That's my opinion on it. Cool. Time together. Yeah. Um, I want to read a couple of your quotes that you post on Instagram on your uh, Instagram site, which is called Building Brainwaves. Yeah. I'm going to read a couple of them, and then you can uh, possibly explain them. Do you have any favorites on here, by the way? I, I have quite a few. Um, I mean, I, I always love posting about the basics just because they're – I mean, there's a lot of basic knowledge that I feel like we were never taught. 
So things like, you know, you don't have to identify with the thoughts that, that just pop up into your head. You don't have to be those, right? Yeah. Things like that. Here's a good one real quick. Uh, who are you putting in charge? You or your brain? Walk us through that one. So that one is a lot about the impulses that just come from our brains. It's like that, that fear that we experience, right? When we put our brain in charge, I guess, first of all, our brain is not us, in my opinion. It's, it's another organ. It's like our stomach. And sometimes, you know, we might get an upset stomach. Maybe we ate something that doesn't sit well with us. And our brain gets the same thing, right? Sometimes it manifests itself in anxiety. It's like it's, it's having a bad response to something. And so whenever we're putting our brain in, in charge, it's like, it's like, am I putting any other organ of my body in charge of my life, right? Am I putting what I smell in charge of my life, right? Um, and so for me, it's all about taking charge, figuring out those values again, and pursuing those, right? And not necessarily taking instructions from your brain as it might, might be sending them to you, right? So just identifying those thoughts that are popping up. It's like, okay, do I want to act on this? If so, how do I want to act on it? How do I want to incorporate this into my values, right? And if it's not something that is going to take you where you want to go, you don't have to listen to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to always listen to your brain. Yeah. Here's another one um, on anxiety. Anxiety does not always mean danger. Most of the time it doesn't, especially when you're struggling with your mental health. Yeah, so that one... Um, I found especially true just with OCD and the rut that I got myself in into, I was experiencing anxiety about everything. It's like it was all around me. And, you know, on the surface, I thought I was in danger. I thought I was putting myself at risk by not doing anything about those thoughts. And so I think just being able to identify that, you know, whatever situation you're in and your body's response to that situation, those aren't always lined up. And at least for me, like our anxiety doesn't have to control our actions. It's a lot like our, our brain or the, the brain one. Um, and so, yeah, it's like I said before, anxiety is a symptom. It doesn't always have to be something that's controlling us. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. Stop looking for quick fixes. Building your mental health takes time and consistent hard work. There are no shortcuts. Yeah. That, that one rings especially true because I feel like everyone's looking for the miracle cure for anxiety, depression. Even me, it's like, what supplements can I take? How can yeah. I change my diet? You know, if I start meditating, is it going to solve all of it? Right. And they're all, there are a bunch of useful tools, but there's not one thing that's just going to knock it out of the park and just crush it. And I feel like if you, even just taking that approach, you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like what it's all about is, is that practice of being the person you want to be. I mean, really, if it comes down to my definition of mental health, mental health is like, if I'm going to be mentally healthy, that means I am doing the things that I really want to be doing with my life, right? My energy is going into the things that I care about. I'm not sinking energy into getting rid of thoughts, feelings, these other things. And building up the skills and the ability to do that is not an easy thing. It's like, it's like learning to, you know, go run a marathon, right? If you've never trained a day in your life and you just go jump into a marathon or something, 
That's, you're going to have a bad time. And so it's the same thing with mental health. Like you can learn the skills, but if you're not actively applying them consistently over time, it's, it's not going to take you anywhere. And it's going to be really, really hard. And it always is at first, mm-hmm. right? When you first start implementing the skills that I teach on my page, it's, it's tough. And you experience a lot of really hard emotions. Mm, cool. Uh, Another one, real relief from excessive anxiety often comes from our long-term ability to stop seeking relief. Yeah, that is one of my favorites, for sure, because it's, there's a paradox to it, and it's so easy to get baited by our anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? And, and even when I'm working with clients, the, it's, it's almost like a, a rite of passage. They have to go through this part where they're like, what this guy's teaching me is going to fix my anxiety. And that's their goal. That's not the goal, right? It, whenever you're doing anything to fix the anxiety, to fix yourself in terms of like, you're a problem that needs to be fixed, you're approaching it the wrong way. And it's, it's going to set you up for more anxiety, more discomfort. And so it's, it's all about being able to embrace those things, right? It's like, can you, can you embrace the pain and discomfort that you're feeling? And when you do that, it actually sets you free. Cool. Do you have any favorites that you can think of? Hmm. That's a good You've question. got so many on here. I'm trying to read through them all. Let's see. Yeah, if you want to pass me that phone, I don't think I even have... I take Instagram off my phone. <laughs> good try for to you. get on it. Like, what do you do? Just post from your computer? Um, well, I usually do use the app on my phone, but... I try and really minimize my phone use, and so I, I take the apps off, and I try to only use them just, like, when I'm going to post. Yeah. And that way it's, like, it's another thing where it's, like, you know, am I using my phone for my values? Am I using them for, um, you know, maybe a fear that I'm feeling? I'm feeling a little bit bored. I'm feeling yeah. discom- discomfort, discomfort, so I'm going to yeah. jump into my phone and get some comfort. So it's just, like, a way to set up my environment. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent of, like, helping yourself by, you know, setting up your environment. Yeah. Figure out some things you can do to, to help yourself make the decisions that you know you want to make. Yeah. I like that. It's um, a good thought. A good quick one is you can't think your way out of anxiety. I think so often we try to solve our anxiety by jumping into logic. And especially with OCD, it's, it's completely illogical. <laughs> and so trying to defeat it with logic, it's just going to jump around it. And it's, it's going to beat you if you take that, that approach. Um, let's see here. I would say, I mean, one of my favorite ones here is just called, you know, mental health basics. And I feel like these are the things that, that I wish I'd been taught, you know, in high school, middle school. And, you know, it could have made a big difference. And so basically the bullet points here are pretty quick. It just says, everyone has mental health. The next one is, thoughts and feelings do not define you. Then you can experience tough feelings while you do amazing things. Uncertainty isn't a bad thing. A life based on getting rid of discomfort isn't a life at all. And a good life is based on values. And it's like those basics, like that's, those are kind of the key components of of my whole philosophy around this thing, you know? It's like, get to the basics, figure out how you can incorporate those into your day-to-day actions. 
Cool. And, and just the way that you interact with your thoughts. How can you build a positive relationship with your thoughts, whether they're ugly or not, right? Can you sit with a thought that is, you know, in your mind it's just awful and it pops in, and can you just let it be there? Yeah. Can you understand that it doesn't have to control you? Cool. Do you are you a fan of Joe Dispenza? Do you read me? I I don't know of Joe Dispenza. You haven't read much of his stuff. I haven't. He Let's mentions your environment a lot, just like you were saying. If you change your environment, it changes your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So create a nice environment or move. You know, if you're struggling, yeah. you know, move. Get out of the house. Go do something. Go outside. Go out in nature. Because just mm-hmm. every time you go somewhere else, your thought patterns change depending yeah. on where you are. So, um, you know, it's really being aware of your environment is also key to, mm-hmm. you know, being, being aware of your thoughts and where you're at. And Totally. I mean, environment is so big with all of this. And, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, led me into compulsions were responses that were just simply coming from my environment, coming from, you know, how I was setting myself up. Cool. Yeah. You, uh, do you have a biggest fear? Biggest fear. It's a good question. Because, um, I mean, it, it definitely used to be that that fear of, like, the deep-seated fear of being alone, deep-seated fear of maybe being hated, something like that. Like, that was always the root of anything that mm. I was I was trying to do and trying to, trying to control, right, mm. as far as my OCD went. Um, and it's interesting because now... Now my fear has kind of shifted to, it's like, I guess the, the fear is what if I'm not able to be the person that I want to be or what if, you know, I fall really short? But again, that's just another thing that I have to accept, yeah. right? It's like that fear can be there while I still pursue those things. Yeah. I don't have to take on a perfectionist mentality and beat myself up for falling short, Yeah. right? So I can be separate from that fear. And can you fall short? Absolutely. And I will. I'm going to over and over and over again. Yeah. We all are. But would that be falling short or would that be just you going down the correct path? And there you go. Baby steps. Exactly. You know, what's so the definition of falling short mm-hmm. if there's no mistakes here? And, and, yeah, and again, that comes down to, you know, how are we labeling our experiences? Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly. the, you know, those judgments and those beliefs that we have in our head, they're so powerful. And so it's like if I label something as me falling short, then it's going to impact me as if I really did, yeah. but maybe I wasn't. Then it's painful, mm-hmm. depending on like I say the label we put on thing, things. Without the thought, who exactly. would you be? Did you really fall short, or was that just part of your progression? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Things show up, you do them for a while, then you stop, <laughs> then you move this way, then you move left, then mm-hmm. you move right, then you go backwards. Yeah, uh, it's all part of the process. It's all part of the process. So, do we ever fall short? Yeah. I think that's that's really profound right there. It's uh-huh. like, I think as long as we're trying, we're not falling short, you know? Mm-hmm. And even if we're failing while we're trying. It's how you learn. It's like, what is it, you know? Right? Yeah. It's how we learn some of our biggest lessons. Absolutely. It's through failure, which I don't even know if failure exists, but <laughs> we sure put that label on it, don't we, mm-hmm. as human oh, beings? We love to. Oh, yeah. Ego loves that word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, how would you say your earth school is going today? Earth School. Is Earth School just School of Hard Knocks? Like I we're guess. talking about School of Life. You're 29 years old and you're on a pretty good path, it looks like to me, buddy. Hope so. You're uh, rolling here. It's going well. Figuring out a lot of things, you know. 
figuring out how to pivot and, you know, really like do what I teach, you know, pursue yeah. my values in, in everything that I do. Yeah. And so I'd say it's, it's going well. It hasn't been easy. Like this last year where, you know, I was jumping into the business world and then at the same time realizing, wow, I have this amazing pull that's towards mental health. I can want to start going in that direction. That's tough. Yeah. man to suddenly realize like man i've like worked all these years i've gone to school for this thing and you know while the knowledge there is useful and i, I can use it in what i'm doing you know i learned how to write in school i learned yeah. how to to communicate that's where you know my my posts come from um but it's it's not easy yeah. like pursuing your values and and going after the stuff that you care about it's never going to be easy yeah. it's tough and also, all that education is part of your process, mm-hmm. and that mission experience was also part of the process. And yeah. was it a shortfall? No, because you're 29 years old and you're already looking at mental health, and most people um, steer away from it until, you know, my experience, most people I see are late 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah. like midlife crisis type of people. Mm-hmm. You know, like me, I was 43 when I kind of lost my mind, had my complete mental breakdown Um, somehow all these experiences have led you back to you at a younger age so you've got this mental health awareness that not many 29 year olds on this planet have Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm grateful for that I'm grateful for finding it it's a long road to get there I think that mission experience pushed you towards it Mm -hmm. faster than you know Totally. You know what I mean? It made you sit back and take a look at yourself and start researching anxiety and OCD. Mm-hmm. You know? Seeing, you know, what's behind it. That big traumatic experience that I'm sure was difficult for you and and look what an amazing human being you've become since. More sensitive, right? More kinder. <laughs> yeah. Well, more thanks. compassionate. You know, I can tell you're a good guy. I've never met you before, but you can sure feel people's energy when you're around them and um, you're special. Thanks, man. You betcha. Appreciate it. Sure. Um, anything else you want to discuss or ask me or have any questions or anything I didn't ask you today, anything you want to share? Oh, I know what else I want to ask you, though, yeah. first before we go there. Um, you mentioned uh, you list a few books on your website that you recommend. Mm-hmm. Are you a big reader? I do. I do try to read quite a bit, yep. Um, what books um, would you recommend for our listeners? You got a favorite or a couple favorites yeah, that stand so out for you? One of my all-time favorite just general books is Man's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. It's uh, about his experience in a concentration camp. Um, totally lost his family, was in the worst circumstances, and he just talks so much about basically the role that his psyche played in getting himself through that and the way that he was able to work with the other people around him. And it's just an amazing story. It's, I mean, it's probably one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. Yeah. And so that's definitely one. Um, when it comes to pure mental health skills that have helped me, there's a book called You Are Not a Rock. That one's by Mark Freeman, and he's actually one of the first YouTubers that I found. Um, and it's interesting because he doesn't have a degree in mental health. He, you know, he actually came from a business background as well, but struggled with some of these things. And, you know, he, he's probably someone who has helped me more than anyone else. You know, there, it's probably him. And then there's one other therapist who I met with who actually got it and was 
really dialed in with it. And so I would say that book is, that's invaluable. If you just mm. want to build general mental health skills, you know, whether you're struggling with something or not, it's going to be helpful. Cool. Um, was it a local therapist that you met with that you said you kind of got it? Yeah, I would say there are actually two. Um, a couple that have worked well for you? Yeah, there's a place up in Centerville. I think they're actually opening up a new one in South Jordan, but it's called the OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. Oh, cool. Up there, they know what they're doing. So really? if you're if you're struggling with anxiety, OCD, that's where I would go. Cool. It's a good uh, little, what do you call it? Good little plug? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it, they're solid. They're opening one in the Valley, too? I believe so, yes. Awesome. I don't know how soon. I think sometime this year. That's good. Yeah. The more and more information you can, you know, find and and read... Mm-hmm. Uh, the better, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do a lot of reading myself. There's a God, there's such a good book uh, that I just read, and I can't remember what it's called. But anyways, um, a lot of good books out there. Um, so, anything else you want to share with the world today? I mean, uh, I think the biggest thing is start taking steps. Yeah. You know, it's like you you said the baby steps kind of principle. And just working your way there, like no effort is wasted when when you're striving for a value-driven life. Yeah. You're striving to do the things that you want to do. And sure. so I think that's that's so huge. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, right on, bro. I appreciate you being on. For sure. You're a good man. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, will do. Absolutely. Changing lives, changing your life. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Appreciate your... Um, taking your time out of your busy day today to come and hang out at the Minds Gym podcast. Appreciate it a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah I've got questions cool. for you too, though. Okay. Yeah. I forgot. Uh, can't forget those. Um, I think the biggest one is like, I guess on your journey, what's been one of the biggest things that's that's helped you, you know, and, and in terms of helping you, like what's helped you get through tough times? What's helped you learn the most about yourself? Are there, I mean, what are the main key tips or ideas even yeah so for me which i always refer back to this but that byron katie lady Mm -hmm. um which i highly recommend her books too but uh what she does i i've been to her she has a nine-day program she has a little four-day program she does and i've been to both of them twice i've read all her books but for me um the experience i had um, when I was really struggling, I was like, I don't know if I can do this another day. I mentioned this to my little brother, and he's like, just go sit with mom and try one of Byron Katie's worksheets. And I knew my mom did them, but I didn't really understand the experience of it. But mm-hmm. um, when I actually went and did a couple worksheets with my mom, it completely 180-degree flipped the way that I process information in my mind. Mm-hmm. And all I did was question my belief system, Right. I questioned what I was really struggling with, what I was really afraid of, and some of my biggest fears. And in doing that, it completely changed my world like 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. So I continue when I struggle, I do her worksheet. So she has a worksheet, and then she has another worksheet called a one belief at a time. And all you do is you write down your stressful or fearful belief, and then she walks you through with a few questions um, your uh, a 
about your fears, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really basic. It's really simple, but it just gets you to question the way that your mind is processing information. And so that's like my go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I have to, you know, I notice um, for me, even as of recent over the holidays, I got sick and the more you sit around and kind of do nothing in my environment doesn't change. I start to really struggle a bit and go into that deep, dark hole. And so for me to get out and to move and to change my environment, you know, Mm -hmm. change where I'm at, who I hang out with, what I'm doing, you know, go skiing, I go to the gym. So I have to, you know, kind of keep moving. But but really the big thing is, is, is those worksheets. You know, the first question is, is it true? Like, hey, I am, oh, what's, a belief that I try to think of, like, what's a belief? What's one of your fearful beliefs? I mean, one that, a belief that drove a lot of, I'd say, negative habits for me was, you know, am I basing my worth on other people's opinions? Yeah. It's like, that, that's a belief that yeah, when I, sure. when I hold that and I encourage that, it's, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. You mentioned earlier too, that, um, one of your fears was being alone mm-hmm. or being, um, hated yeah. or not liked, right? So mm-hmm. that would be one. So yeah. anyways, the first question you would write down, like, I'm afraid of being alone would be my statement. And then the first question is, is it true? And it's a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. So is it true you're afraid to be alone? And I sit there in my mind and like, I actually like reading in my room when the door's shut. Yeah. So I kind of like being alone. So already right there, I'm like, no, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I don't mind being alone. And then the next question is, if you do answer, yes, I don't like being alone, the next question is, can you absolutely know it's true that you don't like to be alone? And then you get, it takes the question a little deeper, and you're like, is it absolutely true I don't like being alone? And then you start processing that, and you'll notice your mind starts to go, oh, wait a second, I've never heard this question before. It's never hit me like that. I've never been approached this way. And then you're like... I hate being alone or I'm afraid to be alone basically right is what you said Mm -hmm. and then you sit in it for a minute is it true that you're afraid to be alone and and you can answer yes or no or whatever shows up is totally up to you but you're like hmm no you know I don't mind being alone I sleep alone (laughs) I mean who's in your bed even if you are with a partner you're still alone sleeping right you're really always alone have you ever considered that Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's the truth. Like right now, me and you are having a conversation, but we're alone. Mm-hmm. In in that, I guess, sense of self yeah. way. Yeah, sense of self way. Like exactly. We're both just yeah. individuals on our own out here. Yeah. And then the next question she has is, um, how do you react and what happens when you believe the thought that you're afraid of being alone? Mm-hmm. I get scared. I get anxious. I get worried. Um, I get into the future. experience anxiety. I experience, I see myself in 30 years and I'm uh, living alone. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. And you start having all these future thoughts about being alone, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, and then, how do you feel physically? You know, there's a bunch of sub-questions, too, mm-hmm. that she has. And then the final question is, is who would you be without that thought? Who would you be without the thought that you're afraid to be alone? And that usually stumps everybody because they've never considered it. Yeah. Who would I be without the thought that I'm afraid to be alone? And most people That's are like, a good one. 
I have no idea. Because <laughs> I just know when I'm alone, I'm worried. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid and I'm anxious. So who would you be without that thought? And that stumps everybody. Yeah. Because the mind's already decided how it feels in any given situation. Mm-hmm. And so then when you ask the mind, who would you be without the thought? The mind doesn't know where to go. So then you have to start digging deep and doing like this archaeological dig yeah. to find some answers on how you would feel and what you find is truth mm-hmm. down in there. You know, because we're also surface, but you dig deep and see what questions come up from your gut or your heart. Mm -hmm. Those are the real answers. So the mind asks the questions and then the heart answers. Mm -hmm. And that's the space we're afraid to go to. Yeah. Right? So anyways, and who would you be without that thought? Well, I'd be okay. I'd be fine, excited, um, present, um, in love with what's in front of me. Like if, if you're sitting there, no matter where you are and you're afraid to be alone, imagine if you fell in love with what was in front of you. Yeah. could be a tree. <laughs> could be in the mountains. Mm-hmm. could be the person you're, maybe you're at the mall and you see some beautiful human being. And you're like, oh, that's fascinating. Maybe, you, you know, yeah. who knows what it is, but who would you be without the thought you're sitting there afraid? You'd, you'd be in love. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's natural. Yeah, totally frees you. Yeah, you're, it's totally, completely freeing. So mm-hmm. who would you be? You'd be happy, excited, free, love. You're natural. You'd be at peace, which is our natural state of being. Peace and love, Byron Katie says, is your natural state of being. So anytime you're experiencing anything other than peace, peace or love, you're um, out of your natural um, ways of thinking and being. Mm-hmm. So you're in fear, basically. Totally. You know, if you're not experiencing love and peace, you're in fear. Mm-hmm. And you're in fear of what? You know, and then you get down and then you do the turnaround. So I'm, I'm afraid to be, there's three turnarounds after the questions. I'm, let's say I'm afraid of being alone. What's the opposite of that? I'm not afraid to be alone. And then she has, okay, give me three examples of why you're not to be af- afraid to be alone. Mm-hmm. Why am I not afraid to be alone? Because I like reading. Um, I like quiet time. I like, um, why am I not afraid to be alone? Because it allows me to have my feelings um, without distraction. Yeah. You know, and then the other turnaround, that would be the opposite to like, um, what's the other turnaround? The opposite to the other and the, drawing a blank here. What the heck is the uh, self-other opposite to the self? I'm not afraid of being alone. Some of them, when you just do the one belief at a time, there's a you can turn around to the other. Um, oh, my thinking. You turn around the self to my thinking. So mm-hmm. my thinking is afraid of being alone. That would yeah. be turned around back to like the self. So I'm not afraid of being alone. It's my thoughts mm-hmm. and the way I'm processing information that's afraid of being alone. That's a good way to put it. You that's know, because it's not you. Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, yeah, it's, that it's that brain that's maybe running you or whatever that little mm-hmm. ego is that's running you. It's like a, a sense of cognitive diffusion there. Yeah. Separating yourself from that experience. Yeah. Right? It doesn't yeah. have to be you. Yeah. So I love that. That sounds yeah. like she's got an awesome tool to really just discover oh, what you're experiencing. It's amazing. Like I've seen people go from like hell to heaven and... In under an hour, it's it's like 
fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why we do it and we share it. I do it with my mom and my brother that we run that group, but that's mm-hmm. basically what we do. Well, I got to come. So yeah, I got to come check cool. it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So thanks for the question. Any other questions? Um, the only other thing I'm curious about, you mentioned uh, changing your environment, getting out skiing. Mm-hmm. Um, what role has nature played, I guess, in your experience here? Yeah. I just know that for me, like, it's, that's something that I value big time. I've always grown up loving it, and there's something just peaceful about it. So yeah. I wanted to know your take on it. Yeah, I do love nature. I don't get out as much as I would like. I do, you know, I hike in the summer, in the spring. I always say I'm going to go snowshoeing, and then I still haven't yet. But um, <laughs> for me, it's just to get out and, like, just not have anything or anybody telling you who or what you ought to be. You know, I like to just go and even like I talk about this all the time, but I even just to go sit and talk to a tree. What does the tree have to say? What is it doing? What is it really? Because it's more than a tree. You know what I mean? Here again, that's what the world has told us. It's a tree. Well, go sit (laughs) with it and figure out what it really is. You know, trees have this absolutely amazing ecosystem. And without trees, we don't have oxygen. Mm -hmm. So when we just say tree, it just limits what it is. So go touch it, feel it, talk to it, you know. And then I, you know, Byron Katie teaches you when you go to her thing, she tells you to, like, go on morning walks. And she tells you to name things as if you were God. What would it be? And so usually on my hikes, I just start naming things, whatever comes to mind. Or maybe I'll just call it what it is. Yeah. She says to call things by their original, um, uh, oh, what is it, the original name of what it is. Not like green tree, but just tree. Mm-hmm. Or not big tree, or not oak tree, not cherry tree. It's first, what's the word? It's first, um, what is something before you put another adjective on it? Or you put an adjective Yeah, because it would be like cherry tree, Mm -hmm. oak tree. um, It's just the the noun itself or? Yeah, but it's, it's, I want to say it's first original name, but there's a term. I'm trying to think of it that she says. It's amazing. You start, it's amazing. You go on these walks when you go to her class and you just Mm -hmm. like starting, the world just becomes fascinating when you don't put um, labels on things Mm -hmm. and just letting them be what they are and then let your mind experience what you think they are and then see what shows up. Mm -hmm. And and, and during that that nine or ten days experience, your your mind just blossoms. You just get rid of all your stereotypes and... and, uh, and everything, and you just experience things in a completely different, like, mindset than you typically would. Mm-hmm. She kind of, like, takes you out of your mind. Yeah, it takes you out of, it sounds like, the, the shortcuts you know. that you've kind of created in the world, yeah. right, that yeah. limit us. Yeah, for yeah, sure. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. But anyways, but yeah, nature's amazing because, you, you know, you just get out there and you can just be, mm-hmm. you know. You don't have all the... crazy stressors of everyday life in front of you, you know, you can just yeah. get out and breathe in the fresh air. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Totally. Cool. All right, bro. Anything else? I think that's it. 
Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you being on. Thanks for taking your time. Um, last thought. Uh, I always leave an exercise uh, to assist you in uh, helping you with your anxiety and depression. And uh, as of recent, I've really been reading quite a bit more. So my challenge this week is to go read a book. Go maybe buy the book um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl or You Are Not a Rock by Mark Freeman that uh, Nelson recommended. So go out there, read a book. Thanks for taking your time to listen to the podcast. If you have any questions, you can reach me at themindsgym at at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share with your friends. And where can people contact you if they want to email you? So they can contact me. Or go to your website. Yeah, so they can go to web, Plug your my website. website. It's uh, www.buildingbrainwaves.com. Or they, they can find me on Instagram. If you just search the handle Building Brainwaves, um, I'll pop up. And I talk to a lot of people on there. Um, feel free to DM me anytime, comment on posts. It's a little community. Yeah. So they're the website. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can find all my information. And go try a new group. Go hop into another community, you know, see what shows up for you. Mm-hmm. Face your fears. Go fall in love with yourself. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace out. Actually, peace in, because that's where you find yourself. <laughs> there we go. See you guys later. This is your Turbo Lover.